daily grind, a phrase that's often related to the routine of life. That the routine of life that you wake up in the morning, your alarm goes off, you grab something to eat, head out into the day, do your job during the day, eat supper, do a few things at night, set your alarm, go to bed, close your eyes, alarm goes off, get up, get ready, go to work, and then just this cycle goes on and on. As we think about this daily grind, it oftentimes gets especially tough this time of year. In February, one of the things they talk about this time of year is what's oftentimes called the seasonal affective disorder. Um, it's largely just the blahs that come with living in a place where the sun doesn't shine very much during the winter time. The routine of life can impact us negatively. You know, we just get in this routine of doing things over and over. We don't see the sun. And, and as a result of that, we can very easily lose our sharpness. When that takes place, we become easy to become complacent. Just going through the motions, we can become lazy and grow sloppy. But as we think about all that this time of year, and as we think about that, though, there is some hope. Uh, there's hope beyond this season. Um, those of you who are Purdue fans enjoyed some hope yesterday. And uh, the IU fans, it was, a, it was a good day for IU fans, too, to have Bob Knight back at Assembly Hall is a big deal, right? So... But it was good that Gene Cady was there as well, and they won. But as we think about springtime, there are other things that we watch the TV and uh, recognize that if you're a NASCAR fan, the Daytona 500 is coming, which is the idea that spring is on its way. For the baseball fans, you know that your teams are heading south, um, likely as we speak, and getting ready for spring training. Uh, this season is oftentimes long, but as we open our eyes and our ears, we recognize that spring is coming. The spring's coming. A new season is on its way. In our text this morning, we hear Jesus. We hear Jesus calling us to pay attention. He tells his disciples to pay attention to the signs of the changing seasons, to not be complacent, to not grow, to not grow lazy, to not be weary. He calls them to stay awake and be ready for the return of Jesus. Well, let's look at our passage together this morning in Mark chapter 13, verse 28 is where we're going to begin this morning. And verse 28 begins by saying this, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that, the, that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning the day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard and stay awake. Be on your guard and stay awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper and says to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. 
Well, we hear a phrase that shows up over and over in that passage, and the phrase is to stay awake. And Jesus is telling us, he is telling us that we need to stay awake and pay attention to what you see and to what you hear. He is talking about in the, in, in the nation of Israel in the winter time that most of the leaves on the trees stay on. But the fig tree, they shed their leaves. And whenever summer begins to come, it's similar to us, that the branches become tender and the leaves start to come out. And that is a sure sign that summer is at hand. Just like in our day, I mean, to look out, I mean, I looked out our back window, and uh, this isn't a picture that I took, but out our back, um, the crocuses are coming up, right? I mean, they're, they're popping up, and as they begin to come, what is that reminding us? Yes, yeah, spring is on its way. It's not far away. It's coming. And as we recognize that, Jesus is saying, look around and pay attention. He says that as the fig tree puts on its leaves and says it's coming, we know that the summer is near, so also we know that the coming of Jesus is near. And so he's telling us that we need to be alert. We need to be alert to the signs that are pointing to the coming of Jesus. As we look at our verse in verse 29, he says, So when you see these things taking place, you'll know that he is near at the very gates. When he describes these things, he's used that phrase also all the way back in chapter 13. Um, and look in verses 3 and 4 with me. It's earlier in this chapter, the disciples have been asking Jesus um, about the end, and the, Jesus says there's coming a time when the temple is going to be destroyed, that the, uh, the walls are going to be knocked down, not one stone's going to be on top of another. And in verse 3 it says, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew said to him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of all these things that are about to be accomplished? So this whole section begins with the question, when will these things be? And as Jesus has been talking about wars and rumors of wars, he's been talking about famine, he's been talking about death, he has been talking about Christians being hated, about family divisions, about earthquakes. He's been talking about all of these signs in our world that are telling us that the end is coming. And so here in our passage, it uses that phrase again, the these things in verse 29. Now, why that's important is because verse 29 has a really challenge, or verse 30 has a real challenging statement. It says this in verse 30. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, as we read all of these things take place, if we remember what we talked about last week, last week we talked about this abomination of desolation coming, this really horrible thing taking place where the temple would be left desolate. And that we talked about that the world population is just going to be decimated, that there are people killed all over the world in the numbers of billions of people. We read about that Christians being martyred throughout all the world, about Christians being hated, about family members selling each other out, and about then the coming of Jesus, the seeing Him coming in the clouds. And as we look in chapter 13, all the way up to this verse, we read in chapter 30, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Well, if you're thinking, we should be asking a question. 
how, wait a minute, this, how's this work? If who's the this generation? Because if the this generation are all of those people that are hearing it, and all of these things include the coming of Jesus, well, then we've missed something. Right? Something's missing. We, we've obviously missed something. And so verse 30 has been a verse that has created lots of theological headaches for theologians for, for decades, for centuries. The question is, who, are, who is this generation, and what are the these things and there's a range of idea that this generation could be the very people that are living there that are hearing jesus speak some would argue that this generation would be the generation of unbelieving jewish people that he would be talking to in, in this context and recognizing that a generation of un, that, that a generation that defines unbelieving jewish people that still goes on today this generation, others could say that this generation means that it's, it's believers or it could be unbelievers. And there's a lot of, lot of debate about this. It could also be those who see the signs beginning, that this generation that won't pass away are those who see it beginning. They'll see it beginning and they'll see all the way to the end. And so a number of debate, number of questions about who, are the, who is the this generation what challenges as well is when it says that all of these things must take place. So not only the who's the generation, but what are the these things? And I really think that really helps understand what's going on. Because he says these things, it could mean all of these things from beginning in verse 4 all the way down to verse 27, including the coming of Jesus. It could mean that, but verses 28 through uh, 31 aren't about what the signs that are coming, but about his actual coming. And so I would argue that when he talks about this generation will not pass away until they see these things take place, I would anchor the these things to the these things that we read up in verse 23 when it says, Be on guard, have I not told you all of these things beforehand? And then back up in verse Four, when the disciples ask, when will these things be? And so I would make the argument that the these things that Jesus is talking about is the destruction of the temple and destruction of Jerusalem. That's the question they ask. When will these things be? And Jesus says these things, referring to the destruction of temple, will take place, and it's going to take place in this generation, in your lifetime. And it does. Jesus is crucified on about A.D. 33. The temple is destroyed in A.D. 70. That's within 40 years. Easily that generation is alive at the destruction of, of Jerusalem. And so we could argue if that's the correct interpretation, it seems very clear that all those things did take place. That generation witnessed it, and then the end continues. The end, the, the end becomes nearer and nearer. So as we would look at all of that, back to verse 13, I'm sorry, chapter 13, uh, verse 35, I'm sorry, verse 30, he says, Truly I say to you, this generation, those listening, they will not pass away until all of these things, the destruction of Jerusalem, takes place. And then he says in verse 31, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And, and as we look at the previous verse and we have some uncertainty about, okay, and a lot of ideas about what it means, there's no question about what Jesus means here. 
in verse 31, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, that, that all of this that we see, there's coming a time where it's going to all end, but God's word is going to stand firm. And he is telling us that we can be confident, that we can be confident in the words of Jesus, in the words that we have in the Bible, we can be confident of them. They are true and they are trustworthy. And this idea that heaven and earth will pass away, um, we would read what scientists say. The scientists would all say that our universe at some, at some point is going to come to an end. Energy is going to collapse. It's all going to collapse on itself. Something, something is going to cause an end to everything that we have. And we read that in Scripture. And Keep your place here in Mark and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, and I'm going to look in Isaiah chapter 34. If you're using a pew Bible, this uh, is on page, I'll tell you the page number. Uh, this is on page 594. Heaven and earth will pass away. What is, what is going on there? What will that look like? Well, in Isaiah 34, Isaiah the prophet has been given vision from God about what's coming in the future. And it says this in verse 4. All the host of heaven, okay, all the host of the stars, the moon, the planets, all the host in heaven shall rot away and the skies be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the tree, from a fig tree. And he's saying that, that the stars are going to fall, which we read that last week. Remember we talked about the coming of Jesus, that, the, that, the, that all this, this cosmic chaos is going to be going on and stars are falling. And we understand this, and it says that, that the sky is going to be rolled up like a scroll. And what a great image. It's as though the God of the universe looks at our, our creation and he's outside of our creation. He spoke it into existence. And he describes it as there's coming a time where he's going to roll it up and say, this one's done. This, one's done. this is done. And as this one's done, the question would be, well, what then? If God rolls up this creation like a scroll, indicating that this comes to an end which fits with what we've been reading about in Mark 13. In Mark 13, remember how Jesus is describing the end of this age as labor pains? As a, that this age is pregnant and a new age is coming? And this new age that's coming is a time when Jesus will reign? That, it's, that the birth pains get more and more, and as Jesus comes, the new age starts. As this new age ends, God rolls up like a scroll this universe, and he begins a new one. And we're told in Revelation chapter 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That God doesn't just throw everything away, but He creates a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And as we see this, that this idea that our universe is going to come to an end, one of the things we see, though, is that we're told, but God's Word's going to stand. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Just a few pages past where you are now. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. It's a beautiful picture. It says this in verse 8, chapter 40. The grass withers and the flowers fade. As you look at grass, it turns brown, it fades. We look at flowers, they bloom, they're beautiful, and then they die. He says, but, as that's all of creation, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
that is the hope that we have. That this word of God is true. And why that's helpful is because our culture would largely be saying to us that, listen, this book was written a long time ago and it doesn't apply to us today. That this book needs to be updated or reinterpreted in light of current scientific evidence or in light of current ethical movement that we need to be, we need to get with the times. And yet the reality is this word of God, it's inspired, inerrant, infallible, it is sufficient. It doesn't change because it doesn't need to change. The Bible describes to us how it is that we flourish. How can we live as full and free people that we live under the rule of our God? That we follow His laws, that we do what He wants. That's where we flourish. Because it's when we start breaking God, when we start lying to one another, whenever we, we commit sexual immorality, whenever we begin to steal, when we think about the Ten Commandments and we begin to break those Ten Commandments, everything becomes a mess. But God has given us a pattern for flourishing in the Word of God, and He's telling us that, that as, as solid as the universe and our earth seems, it doesn't compare to the validity and the solid nature of the Word of God. It lasts forever. So, back to chapter 13, in Mark chapter 13. So, he's talking about this end coming and the heaven and earth passing away. And then in verse 20, in verse 32, it says this. But concerning the day, that day, or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, but only the Father. So, that time when the heavens are going to be rolled up, the time when Jesus comes back, he says, nobody knows that. The, the angels don't know it, not even the Son knows it, but only the Father. And again, this is a passage that often raises a question. It says, well, how could Jesus not know? Because we know that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. How could He not know when He's going to come back? Well, as we read our Bibles and we read in Philippians 2, we're told about the incarnation when God the Son took on flesh. It tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that when Jesus took on flesh, it says that he emptied himself by adding flesh. And so it would be as though we have this eternal Son of God who's all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, unlimited in every way. When he takes on flesh and becomes a man, he veils all of those, those glories and all of those powers. And he surrenders the independent use of those and he is only going to use his, his eternal power, his eternal knowledge, and he's only going to use those at the Father's will. Because he's come to live just like us. He has come to live a life where he trusts the Father, and he's only going to use the powers that he has when the Father tells him to. A, a way that we've described this in the past is though this, this is the, my phone is Jesus' divine powers. Everything that he has when he took on flesh, he put it in his pocket. And he says, I'm only going to use this at the will of the Father. So when Satan shows up to him and says, when he's tempted and says, if you're the Son of God, turn that rock into bread. Jesus had every power to do that. He could have said, all right, bam, and bread. But he says, uh-uh, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it because it's not my Father's will. And so Jesus limited himself to all that it means to be a human. And so the fact that he doesn't know in his earthly existence when he was here, when the return was going to be, fits with our understanding of the incarnation. 
Now, you would ask, well, does Jesus know today when he's coming back? I think he probably does. In his glorified state, he's taken on the, the uh, opportunity to, to have all of these powers and all of them restored fully and is using them on his own that he very likely knows today. And yet, look at the verse, because oftentimes we hear a question like that and we kind of get stuck on that, and we miss what's clear in the passage. At the end of verse 32, it says, No one knows, but only who? The Father. He knows, and that's what matters. The Father knows when He's sending the Son back. He knows when this age is going to begin and the, this age ends and the new one begins. He knows when that's going to be. That date was set in eternity past when God said, in the beginning, let there be, he said, let there be light, that the end of the story was already written. And he knows when that's coming, and it is closer today than it's ever been. We would think about God's redemptive timetable as an hourglass, that there is less sand in the top of the hourglass today than there was yesterday. In the time of Jesus, a whole lot less. And we say, well, when is he coming back? I don't know. But he is. He is coming back. And that's the challenge now that, that Jesus gives to the people. He says in verse 33, Be on guard. Keep awake. For you don't know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servant in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. Therefore, you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And so Jesus is telling us, what's the clear point? Stay awake. Four times he says that. Stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. And he describes it as his master goes on this long journey. As we think about the master going on a long journey, they don't know when he's going to be coming back. And what's real easy to happen whenever somebody goes on a trip and they're, well, think about this. There have been movies made about this, about somebody who um, is missing, this missing person. And they're missing for a few weeks, missing for a few months, missing for a few years. Right when they go missing, everybody's like, where are they, where are they? Everybody's looking. Over time, what happens? Well, maybe they're really gone. We don't know. And so people start to lose passion, and, and eventually people just kind of move on with their lives. You see the spouse maybe decides, well, they're gone, and they get remarried, have kids. This, life just goes on because this person left, or they're gone. We don't know when they're coming back. And Jesus is telling us, don't be like that. I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And he indicates like it's going to be a long journey, right? He talks like it's going to be a long time because he says, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Right? It's coming, and it may be a long time. But don't let the daily grind keep you from looking to his coming. Don't let the routine of life and the things and the long delay make you think that he's not coming because he is going to return. He is going to return. And we need to be faithful as he's gone. We're told that, that as he goes away, he gives work. It says in, in verse 34, when the man goes on the journey, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work. 
we've got work to do. We've got a responsibility. You say, well, what is that responsibility God's given us to be faithfully growing in godliness and serving Him? That's what He calls us to. To continue to be growing in godliness. You think, well, what's that look like? Well, imagine being this, this little bitty tiny kid, all right? It's a little, you know, little toddler over here. And the toddler sees his dad over here, and the toddler thinks, I want to be like my dad, right? Well, we recognize what a toddlers have to do to be like their dad. Well, they're going to have to eat, and they're going to have to exercise. And, and over time, we recognize they grow up, and time does that. We think spiritually, that spiritual growth from a spiritual toddler to a mature saint doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by just spending time going to church, showing up to church every once in a while. It go, comes by discipline. In 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, we're told to discipline ourselves for godliness, that I need to be growing purposefully, reading my Bible, working to memorize Scripture, listening to the message, examining my own life, thinking about what I need to put off and what do I need to put on, how do I need to change and grow and be diligently applying myself, being faithful to everything that God calls us to. But it's so easy to get sloppy. Yeah, I read my Bible yesterday and the day before. I read my Bible last year and I, and I've, I keep coming to church and it's just a grind. It gets tough and it gets weary. And Jesus would say to us in the midst of all of that weariness, He would say, stay awake! Stay awake! Don't grow weary. Don't be sleeping. Because He says that the Master's going to come back. And how, I mean, think about being embarrassed by falling asleep. Have you ever fallen asleep at school? You're falling at school, you know, your English teacher is droning on about something, and sorry, English teachers, but they're like going on, and you know, you doze off, and then the teacher comes and maybe knocks on your desk or does something, and, and you wake up, you're like, and you got to wipe the drool off and stuff, and, and you're like, there's that feeling, it's like everybody's looking at you, it's like, oh, I'm busted. Or maybe that happened at work, that you're working and it's a long afternoon and you're at work and it's warm in your office and you're just buzzing through some stuff and you just doze off and somebody comes to your door, you're like, no, I wasn't sleeping, right? And we have all this, because I'm serious, I was working hard. Now think about that feeling of embarrassment and maybe some shame when Jesus comes back. When our Savior returns and He finds us just living our lives for ourselves, getting up, going to work, making some money, spending my money, maybe spending more than I'm making, coming to church on and off a little bit. But, but my life's really not very invested in the work that God's called me to. The God is calling us to stay awake, stay diligent. Don't be found sleeping. Listen, away, I think we could say this. When we come back, there are only two ways Jesus is going to find us. One is metaphorically sleeping, living for ourselves. The other side is sweating, living for Him. I'm working hard in my relationship with God, that you're diligently seeking to grow and change, that you're investing your lives in the lives of others, that you're seeking to apply Scriptures to your everyday life, and you're diligently doing that because you want to be growing and changing, maturing in your relationship with Jesus. And it's kind of a quite a contrast when Jesus comes back that there are going to be people sleeping and people sweating. And when Jesus comes back, those people who are sweating, I'm confident, what they're going to hear Him say is, well done, my good and faithful servants. 
well done. And what's he say to those who are sleeping? I hope we don't find out. I hope what we have, we are so committed for the return of Jesus that we know he's coming back. And so because we know he's coming back, we are going to stay diligent. And so we need to be faithful with all that he has entrusted us with. But we also need to be ready for his return. That that he says, and what I say to you in verse 37, I say to all, stay awake. Now, you see that next note? Keep your Bible open. The end isn't here. That has two purposes. One of them is to remind us as we are walking through this, we need to be people of God's Word because heaven and earth are going to pass away before anything in this Bible doesn't come true. The other part of it is we get to this point of the message and oftentimes everybody shuts their Bibles. All right? Uh, Okay, yeah, you're laughing because you know it's true. All right, last point shows up on the screen. You're like, he's done. Guess what? He's not done. All right, and I just so gentle rebuke that is distracting to me and others around you. So just wait till we're all done, okay? And because Jesus is coming back, all right. So which would be cool? I mean, I mean, think about what if I'll just say it. What if Jesus came back and like pastor's still preaching, but you're packed up and you're thinking that what's for lunch now? And are we not paying attention? They get to the end of the passage and he's saying this is where we need what we need to be doing with this. And we recognize this, that Jesus is, has been gone for a long time. He's been gone a long time, but he said, tells us he's coming back. The clock is ticking. The game clock has not stopped. It's not put on pause. It's running and it's counting down counting down to the time when our Lord will return and we have a responsibility to stay faithful. For us as believers, that we recognize that we would pay attention, that we would be diligent in the work that God calls us to, that we would be loving others wisely with grace and truth, that we would be growing in godliness. For those of you who or maybe still trying to figure this out and understand the gospel and how to fix your life, and are you really going to be all in for this or not? I want to urge you this morning to examine your life. I appreciated Brianna's testimony. She's talking about the fact that she knew a lot of these truths, but by going to church, God just made them all click. And she's born again. And I'm praying that God will do that in your life. If you're still trying to sort all this out, and if you're unsure about your salvation, that you would make sure. You'd say, Lord, I don't know where I am in my relationship with you, but it's time for me to surrender to you. I don't don't want to wait. I don't want to delay anymore. If you're a follower of Jesus, that maybe today you find yourself a little bit dozing. Dozing because you're just the grind of life and the routine of things and you're not being real diligent and growing in the work that God's called you to. I want to call you and stir you up this morning to be diligent. Our Lord is going to return. And I want to hear, I want to hear Jesus say to us, standing together, and say to us, Well done, my good and faithful servants. Sweating, working hard, being faithful, because we love our Savior. And we can have confidence that we can do this because we know that it's not all about us holding tightly to Him, but He's holding tight to us. And so we trust His strength. We trust His strength as we wait for His return. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the grace that You give to us in Christ. 
And Lord, we thank you that you have not simply left and, um, Lord, are not going to come back. But Lord, as sure as these heavens and the earth one day are going to pass away, your word is true. Help us, Lord, to stand firm, to believe the gospel, live in light of it, be working diligently in our own personal growth, but then also the growth of others. Lord, I pray today that you would stir us, that you would wake us up, that you would wake us up from a spiritual sleep, from the daily grind of our, of our lives, and to be training ourselves for godliness. Lord, help us. Help us to pursue, pursue your well done in our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.